0: the wall and welcome to the Plexus podcast series. We hope you enjoy our podcast today with our very own Brad Johnson and JP Novin as they sit down with President Rich Dunsworth from the University of Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. In the beginning, Rich shares his background in academics and the importance of education and self-advocacy. From there, he gives insights on the future of higher education and job growth for students Thank you so much for listening, and please be sure to subscribe and share.
1: Okay, welcome everybody to the Plexus podcast. We're so excited to have President Dunsworth of University of the Ozarks today.
2: Uh, How are you doing, President Dunsworth? Doing quite well, Brad. Thanks for for having me today. I, I appreciate the invitation, and and please feel free to to call me Rich. Um, in in my mind, I'm I'm still a, a pretty simple farm boy from Colorado. So the president the president title still isn't comfortable. So please just call me Rich.
1: Excellent.
0: Well, we are we're very excited
1: to have you today, and um, definitely would love to walk start off by walking through a little bit of your. Of your history. And, and I'll start off with the question that, you know, why, why is education so important to you? I understand that you were the first person in your family to earn a college degree. So talk a little bit about the importance of education.
2: Sure. I grew up uh, on the eastern plains of Colorado, um, where I grew up, uh, you know, it was in many ways, uh, think about, well, it's it was the Dust Bowl, right? It was the, the area that was once the Dust Bowl. Uh, and that, that folks had to work pretty hard uh, to, to grind out, out a living. And I think, you know, late elementary school, that my parents, my grandparents, uh, it wasn't about if I was going to college, it was where I was going to college. And it was that mindset that I heard um, from my parents and, and then I started hearing uh, from, from a couple of very specific teachers. And I, I can remember, you know, one of them was third grade, the other was fourth grade, thinking about education as a way, um, as a way to build a life. And, and luckily I, I received a scholarship to, to attend an in-state school there in Colorado. And, and then flourished after my sophomore year. The first couple of years of undergrad, not so much. Um, I didn't realize a lot of the things I just simply didn't know because I was a first generation college student. Uh, I didn't understand um, you know, anything from the vocabulary to the rules of the game is the language we would use now that it wasn't simply, hey, work really hard. You also needed to, to understand how things, things worked. Um, and, and you'll find that, that I use some of those lessons learned what, 30 plus years later. As I work with with college students, um, I think that the tension for me is the, the the more education that I received, the the less likely it was that I could go home. Right, um, growing up in a town of twelve hundred, where your your larger employers are the hospital and the school system, and those weren't my career paths. So. Then you you have to find a new life and a new path and a new journey and and luckily education created uh, a lot of uh, well a lot of whys in the road for me along that journey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we always can remember a, a a teacher throughout our career, someone that you can point to, or several you can point to that really made a difference. Um, what, from your perspective, um, you know, as a student. Mm-hmm. What lessons can you impress upon, you know, the students today at your institution and, and what, what type of lessons can you, can you share with them? What do you glean from?
2: Sure. I think details matter, relationships matter um, and, and learning how to, to advocate for oneself. Um, University of the Ozarks serves about 50% of our students are first generation. Uh, about the same percentage are Pell eligible, and about 55% are historically underrepresented or English is a second language, depending on how we want to, to, to count and, and think about things. And, and you see um, almost daily the difference between students who've been taught to self-advocate and the students who don't understand, um, Advocacy. So I think when I think about teachers that I've had along the way, whether it was, yeah, Mrs. Chenoweth in third grade um, teaching me, she, I, she, I don't know if she ever used words like self-advocate, but she was teaching me how to advocate. Um, And that, that when I think about students today going, okay, how do you, how do you advocate for yourself? I'll ask freshmen. Uh, I have freshmen dinners uh, in groups of 20 throughout the fall semester. And I'll, I'll ask basic questions like, have you crossed the threshold of each of your faculty member's door? And invariably, they'll, they'll say, well, I've done one. One out of five? Well, that's not a passing grade. Cross the threshold of every person's door. You know, Get to know them when you don't have a problem in front of you. Get to know them, find out what they're curious about, find out what they're passionate about, uh, so that when life happens, because inevitably life will happen, that you're not crossing that threshold for the first time to say, hey, Dr. Johnson, can I talk to you about this paper? Or, hey, Dr. Johnson, something really traumatic has happened in my life. Can I get an extension? Um, so a lot of the lessons that, that I work with the students, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, are really what we'd call the soft skills, right, or the, the relationship skills. Now, do you still? I know you were a faculty member for
1: a number of years. Do you still teach? Do you have any time to teach?
2: I let's say no, and then but this this last year, our enrollment staff um, encouraged me to do a one credit seminar with with a group of students that receive a scholarship. It's called the Frontier Scholarship, uh, and it's it's designed where. We describe it as last money. That, that whatever the gap is in the student's financial aid package, this scholarship will come in and fill that gap for a group of about thirty students in each freshman class, uh, and it's committed to them for their four years they're here, so that they graduate without loan debt. And and the the alumni or the the enrollment staff encouraged me to do a one credit leadership seminar with them. That's the first time I've been in a classroom in a structured environment for almost a decade. Uh, I'm gonna be doing it again this fall. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it wearing a mask. So hopefully I'll get to teach this fall without my face covered and, and, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Excellent. So you were at Milliken for quite a while um, yes. What was the biggest change moving from Milliken to University of the Ozarks?
2: Yeah, there are a couple of, of, of the most significant changes that 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 I've, I've joked with with um, vice presidents in, in at this institution that, you know, it's it's about 18 steps from the vice president's office to the president's office. I didn't fully appreciate how long those 18 steps are until you're actually sitting at the desk and 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 moving from an, an executive role into the president or the, the president's office. Um, so that was a big change. Uh, it was also a big change for, for us to move from a town of about 100,000 people to a, to a city of about 10,000 people. Not as much for me, but definitely for my, my wife and, and children. Um, and then, then the other probably biggest change, Brad, is that, that being, being in, in, in a small town where, where you're a significant employer, where you don't necessarily know anybody. Um, so not having a, a sounding board or a peer group. Uh, and I learned very quickly that, that it was important to, to build that board of directors across the country so that I can text a, a president in Pennsylvania and say, hey, do you have a few minutes? Or call a president in Ohio and say, hey, can we talk about a situation that, that's, uh, that's confronting us? And, and I've, I've learned to not only do that with others, but for others along the way.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And I know you, know you have many responsibilities today. I know you're on you're on a couple of boards, and you know, you, you stay busy. Um, what excites you about your responsibilities? Today? And I know you've you've shared many already, um, but on a day to day basis, when you look at APCU and and HLC and uh, even NCAA Division II and your roles that you play with each of those organizations, um, again, what what excites you about those responsibilities that you have?
2: The, what excites me is, is thinking about the future of higher education and I'm going to partner that with, you know, t- 10 days ago we had commencement and it felt bigger because it was face-to-face for the first time in 18 months and we were able to, 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 to award degrees and shake hands and take pictures. I think about whether it's APCU, whether it's the Higher Learning Commission, where it's the NCAA, all of those organizations fundamentally are to support a young person. For us, it's typically a young person um, receiving a degree and, and opening the world to them because they, they have a, a bachelor's degree, right? I mean, it, I, I think sometimes in the United States, we, we lose sight of the value of education sometimes, right? Because we think everybody's got a college degree. Well, that's just not true. In the, the US, the number's knocking on 40%. And I think globally, the number's only 9%. So uh, I think all those organizations think about, or they bring thought leaders together to think about the future of higher education. Uh, and often, um, you know, often I wonder if I'm the imposter in the room going, why did they invite me? Or Do, did I really earn the seat I'm in because we have these amazing conversations um, about what education should look like or what it might look like moving forward.
1: Excellent. I think we have a time for a couple of more questions, but if I could ask you about the pandemic and over the past year, how has that impacted the institution? How has it impacted international students? And just in general, how has that impacted your day to day?
2: Well, I, I, I joked about trying to teach with a mask on that, 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 that as we think about day to day, I'd say this, that, that I'm, I'm very proud of my faculty, staff, the colleagues here that, that we were able to make some a, adjustments fairly quickly. Um, for us, for international students, what we said to, to what well, we said it to any of our students, that if you're here, we're in this for the long haul. So we've had students that haven't left campus for nearly two years, right? Because they'd, they'd come in a year ago fall, they didn't go home, they're still here because of challenges either COVID related, economic related, and we just said, we're in this for the long haul. We got you covered. And, and we're continuing to work through that. Now please know we also said that to our faculty and staff. We made a commitment within the first 10 days uh, once we understood what, what was going to happen or, or at least what we thought was going to happen, we made a commitment that no one would lose their job mm-hmm. and that, that we've reassigned people, we've redeployed people, uh, and that, that no one here at Ozarks ha- has, has lost their job due to, to, to COVID. And, and we, we've tried to make decisions as though we're going to be around for another we're a 187 year old institution and we say, hey, we're gonna be around for another 187 years. Let's, let's act like that. And that, that we're gonna take some short-term hits, some short-term losses, knowing that we're constantly investing for the future. And, and we believe that that's, that's working. Our, our students are, are being successful academically. Our international partners are committing to sending students in the future and that, that we believe it's the right thing to do and that it's consistent with the mission of the institution. Excellent. Hey, JP, at this time, I'll turn it over to you. I know you had one or two questions that you wanted to
1: ask.
3: Absolutely. Uh, well, Rich, thank you for your time. I've, I've really enjoyed and fascinated what you all had to do during COVID and, and the commitment. Um, I guess my question, I'd like to make a comment for for anyone who's not familiar with Ozark University, Ozark has long been known for progress, becoming the first college in Arkansas to admit women in 1875. The college also became the first traditionally white undergraduate institution in Arkansas to admit African-American students in 1957. So you you truly represent a remarkable and rich and forward-looking history. As, As you mentioned, you've been around for you know, almost two centuries now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my question, given the fact that you're always on the cutting edge of social change and academic change, is that you know, th- there's a strong belief out there that given the advent of internet and technology, you know, in the past, people used to come to one strong driver seeking an undergraduate degree was to seek information, have access to libraries, to professors, and and really learn. Given the fact that information is now ubiquitous and available on internet and through other means, how do you see the role of four-year institutions changing? And and what, what is the value proposition University of Ozark is going to bring to the students moving forward as far as retaining them and also attracting them to a campus.
2: Yeah. I think if if you'd asked me that question, JP, two years ago, my answer would have been less complete. Mm -hmm. Because I think COVID gave us a little bit of a reality test, or it 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 tested the are we all eventually going to be consumers of education via the internet. Right. Because, you know, in, the, in the, the early 2000s and well, you know, the, the mindset, well, hey, well, everybody go online. Everybody needs an online division. Everybody needs this. You can do a Khan Academy. You can do all these other ways. Mm-hmm. I think COVID tested that. And, and, and I think for, for some students, that is that is exactly a good that is exactly right for them. For some students, hey, I can log in. I can teach myself with a really good facilitator. And, and that that's, a, that's a way of acquiring knowledge. I think there are going to be institutions like ours that that, that might be a nice compliment. That might be a nice way to, to do some things that we couldn't otherwise do. For example, we have a couple of faculty that because of COVID are teaching outside of the country and international business. Our instructor is in Guatemala teaching international business. I think that's a cool addition. But the student taking his classes also has four other or five other classes face-to-face where you're walking down the hall, you're grabbing a coffee with a, with a faculty member. And, and I think that's where, where we still have a market share where, excuse me, a, a, a value proposition mm. because it's, it's, it's helping the student learn how they learn, helping the student mature and grow as a human being. And it's, it's not the what, it's the who, right? The what sometimes is ease, more easily acquired, but the who, who am I going to be? That takes time. That takes uh, in allowing other people to, 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 to stimulate something in your mind or your heart or your soul, and then being present to, to help you, help you digest it, help you discern it, um, you know, and that's, that's why I think there's always going to be space for a faith-based institution, I think there's always going to be space for a small liberal arts college, because we, we teach you not only the what, but the who, the how, maybe even the why, and, and I think we can do that differently um, than, than some of the other the other types of institutions and, and the other mediums of delivery or modes of delivery.
3: I, I love that answer about the, the who. Uh, that's that's definitely the core of, you know, education, right? The, the, the pedagogy that goes into getting someone from academic to practical uh, life. And I, I guess to kind of continue in that same vein, of question is that you know, the UNESCO and the World Bank gave out a study recently about the displacements of jobs through artificial intelligence by 2030. So there's there's this prediction that 45 to 50 percent of the jobs that we know today, uh, much like manufacturing, has been displaced, might be displaced by AI. Uh, you know, and, and I know you all have good programs at, at University of Oslo. How, how do you think about that world as as you start looking at jobs and, and, and job growth in the next two, three
2: decades. I think in the, in the same vein of that, um, what's the stat that says uh, students will, the, I can't remember what the number is, something like 60, 70, 80% of our students are gonna work in industries that don't even exist yet. Exactly. Right? So the mindset that we're preparing a student for something we can't even see, mm-hmm. And I think those are the, that's where where institutions like ours can thrive, because we're not only teaching the student where and how to acquire information, we're teaching them how to, to critically think, how to process, how to how to synthesize. For example, at Ozarks, our curriculum is designed where a student receives a major and two minors, and they can't be closely aligned. Hmm. So a student's getting a major in math and natural science, and then they must get a minor in humanities and fine arts and a minor in social science. Wow. With the belief that as the world, you know, pushes them one way or another, that they're going to have an underpinning that will allow them to pivot because Mm -hmm. they might need to pivot at 30 or they might need to pivot at 50, where what was once a, you know, once a hobby now becomes their new vocation because they did that undergraduate minor in art and the career that they once had in business changed, or vice versa. So so I think that it's 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 us thinking toward that future in a way that says, hey, we're not we're not gonna shy away from the fact that industries are gonna change. They just are. Yeah. Let's let's prepare you to to think differently so that that hopefully when that hits you you're you're not completely well using the hit metaphor that you're not knocked to your knees right Mm -hmm. you you get a little jar and go great what do i do now
3: i i really like that because even in our organization when we look at resumes right we, we do look at that balance between quantitative and and holistic view and it just someone who actually has both always has an edge because they're able to think in, in different spectrum. Now, if someone also did four years of internship or apprenticeship while they were at college, that, that is a slam dunk, right? So, uh, or, or a home run depending on what your favorite sports is. Now, I, I guess the question is if you did humanities, are, are you gonna have them do some hard sciences?
2: If so It goes the same way. So let's say my, my major is in humanities and fine arts. I must get a minor in math and natural science. Ooh, and I lovely. must get a minor in social science. And it, it gets tense every now and then because it, let's do the stereotypes. Yeah. I'm an artist. You want me to minor in math, chemistry, biology, physics, psych? Yeah. We, we need to find a minor, it's 18 credits, that hopefully complements you. And sometimes folks go, well, there isn't anything that complements me. Great, you still have to. So let's find one that works. Uh, this is
3: truly unique. This is very unique. And, and I think we, we really need to highlight that when we talk about university. And in 2016, you all were one of the first schools that actually went test optional, right? So, so you really embraced the test optional aspects. Could you explain, you did explain a bit about the demographic of your student body and what have you, but how has that worked out? So, you know, post and pre, as far as the outcomes, student success and, and, and career outcomes.
2: Sure, you mentioned, some of our firsts uh, around issues of, of race and, and gender. One of our other firsts is um, late 60s. Well, 1971, we opened what was co- what is now called the Jones Learning Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's one of the first centers in the country for nice. neurodiverse uh, students that learn differently. So our campus is, is very comfortable with thinking about how students learn. Mm-hmm. So, when we started talking about test optional, uh, it, it was a pretty easy conversation. And in and, and part, of it's because of the challenges with some of the, the standardized tests, right? That, that they have some economic bias, they have some racial bias, or it's generally accepted that there's some bias there. So, what we said is, well, what, what are our options, right? And what are we using it for? was, was, were those tests ever really intended to be used for financial aid leveraging, right? The higher the test score, the better the merit award. The higher the GPA, the better the merit award. So what we said is, well, what if we allowed students to to present themselves in their best flight, right? And that's really what test op is for us. If if a standardized test is one of the metrics that you believe presents you in a positive light, give it to us. If you'd rather put together a portfolio, put together a portfolio. If you would rather give us your high school um, grades and interview with us, interview with us. Present yourself in the best possible light so that we know who you are and what you're hoping to accomplish and then for us, it's not as so much the admission side, it's the financial aid side. So mm. then we're gonna take you in your total being and then try to give you the best financial aid package as possible. So what did it do for us? It opened up rural female for the most part. Mm. It's funny because sometimes folks will go test-op is just your way to get in the underprepared male athlete. Well, that's not true. It's often about small towns where they might not have a test prep center. It's often about a student who works really, really hard and has a 4.0 or a 3.9 or a 3.8, but they don't test well. And if we overweight that standardized test, we're undervaluing the day in and day out performance of that student. And we said, let's stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So. I think in many ways it's a much more holistic approach. We invite you to give the very best. About twenty percent of our students come in test optional, uh, and that those students perform uh, at, at the same level. In some disciplines, they perform a little bit better than than the the those that provide us with the tests.
3: Love it. Well, Rich is so wonderful to talk to you. Your holistic approach to education and such an easy guy to talk to I could sit here and talk to you for another three hours but I but I'll stop because I'll ping you later but this this has been wonderful for us and, and it'll be great for the students on on Plexus and and everyone who is interested in higher education I, I
2: truly have enjoyed talking to you I appreciate it JP it's uh it's always wonderful to present uh, the University of the Ozarks and you know, I think it sometimes surprises people that we're in we're in the mountains. Uh, we're surrounded by nearly 3 million acres of, of protected forests. And when you walk our campus, uh, our student population of just under a thousand, well, they reflect 25 countries. And I think last year it was 26 different states. Wow. Uh, so it's it's a pretty amazing place to be. And for some students, it's completely life-changing.
3: Wow, that's amazing. We, we would love to come down and and visit your campus and see it in person as well. So we look forward to it. Great. Thank you so much.
2: Bring your bike, bring a kayak, or we'll provide both and we'll we'll show you around.
1: Excellent, you're on, that's great. Love it, very thank good. you.
2: All right, guys, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you, you have a so good much. day.
1: Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode with the University of Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. You can also find us on these social media channels: on Instagram at PlexusGram, P L E X U S S Gram; on Twitter at Plexus P L E X U S S Updates; on YouTube at Plexus Social Media. We can also be found on Facebook at Plexus. Thank you, and we hope you can join us on our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and share within your own network.